The, the next three weeks are going to be interesting just because we're going to talk about a, a real touchy subject in, in the church. Today we're going to talk about how we need to stop being offended. And, and for us who are Christ followers, the, the interesting piece is that most times us as Christians are the ones that are easily offended. You know, if, if we really love Jesus, how do we navigate this world that we live in when so many people around us, including ourselves, are easily angered and I'd even go incredibly angered and really offensive? Uh, what's our response to, to being a disciple of Jesus with all the division and hatred and anger that's arising in this world? I read a book, and if you have a pen and you want to scribble it down, it actually is a great book. It was written a few years ago. It was, it's called Unoffendable. Unoffendable. It, it speaks really into the tension that we have in our culture today. I'm going to borrow a lot of his ideas over the next few weeks, just so that you know. The author at the start of that book says that you can have a life that is unoffendable. And you might go, unoffendable, Matt, you don't know the crazy people that I have in my life. I mean, they're all around me. They're, they say that they know everything. They're loud. They're opinionated. They criticize me, Matt. And the author is telling me that I can actually be unoffendable. I don't think that I'm easily offended. I, I should probably ask my wife or my kids, but I, I honestly don't think that I'm that offended. In the Bible, in James chapter 1, verse 19, the author wrote these great words, and we're actually going to come back to it. It'll be on the screen in just a minute when we add 20 to it. But I want to give you 19, where 19 says this, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Watch this. Be prepared for this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So, this week I needed to ask myself, and I'm going to ask you this morning, how are you doing with that assignment? We should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Let's be honest. We live in a culture where there's not many people who are listening and we're really fast to speak our opinion and we're really fast to become offended and we're really fast to become quickly angry. So how many questions do you think Jesus was asked in the Gospels? Well, let me tell you. Jesus was asked directly 183 questions. Of those 183 questions... How many did Jesus actually respond to? Jesus answered three times. Three of the 183 questions that were asked of Jesus, he answered. While he was asked 183 questions, he actually asked others 307 questions. Why? Because he was slow to speak and was quick to listen. You see, it seems like anger 
has kind of escalated in our culture today. It's all around us. It's the anger that we see on social media, maybe arguing about vaccinations or no vaccinations. Do you remember a few months ago, mass or no mass? That visible leader that abused their power, getting angry about our issue, whatever our issue is, because we all have that issue. So ask yourself, where do you get angry? Usually it's that one single issue among hundreds of issues. But we get angry about our issue, and then we take it to the next level. We get angry at other people because they're not angry about the things that we're angry about. It's hard to admit, and this may not be true for everyone, but I actually think we're moving in a culture to where people like to be angry. I wouldn't say they like what angers them, but they like the anger feeling. You know, you got your 73 friends on Facebook. We're all ticked about the same thing. We just repost the same things that tick each other off. It's our little group. When we're angry, it's kind of fun because we feel morally superior because we're in the right and everyone else is in the wrong. They're either evil or they're an idiot. Yes, I said idiot in church. We're easily angered. And I don't think it's pleasing to God. So I want to ask you this question. How effective is your anger? Like, how's it going for you? Is it working? Is it making you more like Jesus? Is your anger pointing others toward an intimacy and the life and freedom and joy that is found in Christ? Is your anger making you more loving? Is it drawing other people into that joyous life you're living? Let's be honest. The answer is always negative. It's not working according to Scripture. Go back to James chapter 1, verse 19, and let's add 20 to it. What does verse 20 say? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Your human anger, or whatever it is, your anger at that small offense, or your anger at that major betrayal, your anger at the opposing political view, or the guy that gave you the middle finger in the parking lot yesterday. Whatever it is, your human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. But Pastor Matt, you don't understand. My anger is righteous anger. My anger is righteous anger because I'm angry over sin. And guess what? You might be. There is probably something that is a righteous hatred against something that breaks the heart of God. But I don't know about you, but I don't know if you've noticed this about righteous anger. Whenever we're angry at someone else's sin, it's always someone else's sin. If we were really honest, it might not be like a righteous anger. In some ways, it could be a self-righteous anger. As Christians, it's really easy to criticize someone's foul language but ignore our own spiritual pride. It's really easy 
to get angry about their sexual sin and judge that and ignore our gluttony. Have I offended you yet this morning? Should I give back this card? How effective is your anger? Are you drawing people to the grace and goodness and love of Jesus because of your anger? Is your anger bringing you more joy? Is it blessing and enhancing your marriage? Is it giving your children a life that they want to emulate? What we have to do, friends, eventually, is we need to make a decision. You and I need to make this decision when we get angry. Do we want to make a point or do we want to make a difference? Because, friends, like me, too many of us just simply want to make a point. If we want to make a difference, I would submit to you that we need a different attitude and a different philosophy with dealing with the wrongs of this world. Rather than letting our flesh and our feelings and our emotions direct our action, we need to let the Spirit of God direct what we do. So we're not just making a point, we're actually making a difference. We're not just trying to win an argument, we're trying to win people to the grace and goodness of Jesus. There's this really smart guy, not me. He was an expert in the law. And he came and he asked Jesus a question. And this question is one of the questions that Jesus answered. This man said, so tell me, Jesus, what's the most important thing? And Jesus would listen to this guy because he knew the stature of his heart responded with the answer. You want me to tell you what's most important? If you have your Bibles, it's in Matthew 22. If not, it'll be on the screen behind me. Jesus replied, he answered this man this question. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, verse 40. Everything hangs on these two commandments. You want to know what's important in 2022? It's to love God with everything in you every bit of fiber in your body to worship him, to love him, to glorify him, to love him in all that you do. And the way that we love him is by loving his people and showing them grace, having empathy, having compassion, and showing his goodness and love for other people. Guess what I realized this week? I don't have to be angry to do that. I don't have to be ticked to actually be loving. In fact, I have to ask myself, can I be angry and show consistent love and grace to people? When you think about it, Jesus never told us that we need to be right. But what he did say is, I want you to be loving. So go back to those two questions. Do you want to make a point? Or do you want to make a difference? If you want to see someone get beat... Just watch them lose their cool. As same, it's true, if there's an effective police officer, the police officer is not angry. It's in their anger that they become ineffective. The best soldiers aren't angry in battle. if They're doing what they're trained to do. So as disciples of Jesus, how do we battle against the forces of darkness? The way that we battle is to lead with love. Don't lead with anger. We're not just trying to make a point. 
We want to make a difference. And hearts are rarely changed by anger and accusations and judgment as much as they are changed by empathy, compassion, discussion, and love. We want to lead with love and not anger. I don't want my opinions to overrule my calling to share the love of Jesus and get sidetracked by the little things that are not nearly as important as sharing the gospel of Jesus. So friends, how do we actually learn to let go of that anger that we might be carrying in life? How do we let go of that anger and overcome our offenses? There's two simple things today. The very first one is, I need to lower my expectations of others. What will happen a lot of times is someone's going to lie to you. They're going to let you down. They're going to betray you. They're not going to show up. They're not going to say thank you for the thing that you did. They're not going to call you back. They're not going to be there for you. They're going to forget your birthday. They're not going to come to your thing. And you're going to be incredibly disappointed. And I want to say to you like, What do you expect? Have you ever let someone down? They're people. Instead of saying, I can't believe she would, and I'm shocked that they would, and I never thought a Christian would, we have to remember that sinners do sinful things. And if we start allow always elevating our expectation and think everyone's going to love you, you're going to be hurt. Listen to what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3. A great description of us as people. People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. They'll be boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God pretty true description of who we are. See, sinful people do sinful things. If you're not Jesus, and I'm pretty confident none of us are Jesus in this room, you're not perfect. When you think about Jesus, he was never shocked by self-centeredness. He never went like this, I can't believe they're being so sinful. He just knew they were. He was never scandalized by immoral behavior. You just watch as Jesus goes from story to story. Whether Jesus walked up to the woman at the well and realized that she had been married to five different men and the man that she was currently with wasn't married to him. And what does Jesus say? Man, I can't be close to you. You're one of those types. I can't even be around here. You know what? I need to get away from you. I can't wait to tell Peter and John, this is not gossip, it's prayer. We're going to pray to, for her because she's looking for love in all the wrong places. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't judge. He wasn't shocked. Jesus offered her living water. Living water that would actually satisfy. You see, it would help meet the need that she was looking for. He wasn't shocked by her scandalous behavior. Whenever the disciples were posturing themselves like, who's my, who's Jesus's favorite? Who gets to sit by his side? Guess what? If I was at that point, I was Jesus, I'd lose it on those guys. Are you kidding me? 
Do you remember who you are? You ought to be a tax collector. I'm the savior of the world. I'm the son of God. I'm sinless. You're sinful. But Jesus didn't do that. He just kept loving on them. Peter is like bragging, I'm your guy. They may not show up for you. They don't have your back. I've got your back, Jesus. I'm on your team. I'm always there for you. You don't, you need anything? I'll never deny you. I'll always be there. If everyone else was your down, you know, I'm, I love you the most and I'll never disappoint you. And then what did Peter do? Well, he lied. He betrayed Jesus. He denied him. He stabbed him in the back. He abandoned Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He didn't go on Facebook. He didn't write in his Twitter feed, all people suck. He just forgave Peter. He kept loving on Peter. He gave Peter a new assignment to go and take care of his sheep. How do you get over so easily being offended? Well, you lower your expectations. We're all sinners. We all mess up. People are always going to let us down. And then the second thing is simply we need to raise our gratitude for God's grace. I'd love a show of hands. No, don't do that. For all of us who have never sinned in this room. Like we've never done anything wrong We all deserve God's love. We've never lied. We've never cheated. We've never looked lustfully. We've never envied. We've never gossiped on a friend. I love how Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For it is by grace. For it is by God's grace that you have been saved. It's through faith. It's not from yourselves. In other words, it's not because we were good. It's not because we were holy. It's not because we had it all together. It's not because we did everything right here at Daybreak Church. It's not that we never did anything wrong. It has nothing to do with us. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's the grace of God. It's the goodness of God. It's the mercy of God. It's because of what Christ did on the cross for us. It's because of His perfection. It's because of His righteousness. It's His goodness. It's His grace that makes us right with God. It's not our goodness. It's not our works. It's all by grace. But you might say, but they lied about me. I've lied too. But Matt, he's so arrogant. Guess what? I can be arrogant too. Well, they stole from me. Guess what? I've stolen too. I need the grace of God. Joy. Where's joy? I don't want to minimize this morning. Whatever hurts some of you, might you might still be enduring it right now. I know I've talked about politics and we've talked about friends being rude. But I know a lot of you are facing some deep and significant pain. Maybe somebody abused one of your children, or maybe a spouse that you have trusted for years was living a double life. And you might be facing a horrible betrayal right now. No matter what I say is a level of offense, 
Whenever we've been hurt, whenever we've been angry, there tends to be a thought that goes in our head, I am right and they're wrong. And I'm justified in my anger. And if you're not careful, your anger then will justify your right to hold a stone. It's not that you're going to throw the stone, but you want to hold it, put it in your pocket just in case you ever need to throw it. You hurt my kid, I'm going to hurt you. You let me down, I just need this stone in my pocket. And then before long, you're spreading false information. Maybe about they voted for the wrong candidate or what they believe about theology or what we believe about the vaccination. And I hold my stone because I'm right and you're wrong. And my anger gives me the right to hold my stone. In John chapter 8, there was a woman that was caught in a sinful act. She was, she and another guy were caught in the act of adultery. And there was an angry group of men gathered around, each holding their stone saying, she deserves death. They, she sinned. Let's stone her for her sin. And Jesus wasn't shocked, he wasn't angry, he wasn't offended, but instead he knelt down and started scribbling something in the sand. And we don't know from the Gospels exactly what he said in the sand, but tradition tells us that perhaps he was scribbling the sins of the men who wanted to stone her. Because Scripture says one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, they all started to walk away. And Jesus looked on and said, essentially, You're angry? And you want to do something to right the wrongs? Then whoever of you has never ever sinned, you can throw the first stone. There are so many injustices. There's so many wrongs in this world and they break the heart of God. And it's easy for us to want to be righteously angry. But I want to submit to you this morning that really angry people have a hard time making a difference in this world. If we deal with enough anger at some point, Jesus may say to us, lower your expectations of others, raise your gratitude for grace. And because of the goodness of God, and because of the way that you've been forgiven, it's time to drop your stone. Jesus didn't call us to be right. He called us to be loving. And my goal, I'll tell you, my goal is not to convert you to some peripheral issue. My goal is to help you see the love of God, the one who changed my life, and his name is Jesus. And guess what, friends? Jesus was quick to listen, slow to speak, and he was slow to become angry. If that's the way that Jesus lived in love, that's the way that I want to live in love. Why? Because human anger does not produce righteousness that God desires. So daybreak. Let's rise above it. Let's lead with love. And let's make a difference in in this point in the world. Because God can use us. Let us lead with love. Let me pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for just the confronting you did in my life as 
I looked at the anger and the things that get me riled up. May I lead with love. May I be someone who is quick to listen and slow to speak. May my life produce a righteousness that comes from you. Lord, we love you. We ask all this in your name. Amen.